You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. My message this Christmas Sunday morning is based and taken from the first chapter of Luke. And so I'll be referring to some of these verses as we move along. And so you turn to somebody and say, Merry Christmas. You may Please be seated. Thank you. I'm going to be famous. That's what Robert Hawkins wrote in his suicide note before he went into a killing rampage in Omaha, Nebraska, where he murdered about eight people and then he took his own life. I'm going to be famous, he said. But he was wrong about that. Six months after he went on this killing rampage, this murderous rampage, few people remembered his name. And six years after, fewer still. And after 60 years, he will rate only as a sad footnote when people look back in 2007. In 600 years, no one will recall how he lived or how he died. Such is the nature of fame on planet Earth, even for murderers. It is in part a commentary on how short our collective memory is. Fame is a tricky thing. We all understand that, or at least we should, given how quickly yesterday's heroes become tomorrow's has-beens and tomorrow's forgotten footnotes. It is said that when a Roman general came back from a great victory in a distant land, during the victory parade, as the people watched and as they cheered on the sidelines, a slave followed the general, whispering in his ear these words in Latin, sic transit gloria munda, meaning the glory of the world is fleeting. Everything good, everything bad, everything happy, everything sad is all going to pass away. All of it is fleeting. There's a famous quote from Grace Elegy penned in an English churchyard. It says, the paths of glory lead but to the grave. Fame and infamy are alike in this way. They both pass away. Is there anything on this planet Earth that will last forever? Now consider these familiar words, therefore, from our text in Luke chapter 1, verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It is easy to forget how revolutionary and profound, sweeping and far-reaching these words must have sounded in the beginning. They were spoken by an angel to a virgin named Mary, announcing the birth of a baby who will one day rule the world. And it came totally out of the blue to a teenage girl who was a virgin, to a place called Nazareth, a minor insignificant city in a remote corner of the Roman Empire. And to her, the angel suddenly came and made a series of incredible announcements. 
Number one, he said, you will conceive and bear a son. Number two, you will call his name Jesus. Three, he will be great. Four, he'll be called the son of the most high. Five, he will rule over the house of Jacob forever. And six, his kingdom will never end. Mary could have asked a follow-up question about any of those things, but being thoughtful and practical, she asks only about the first question. You will conceive and bear a son. So she asks, how will this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35. The answer was both direct and even more amazing. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, one, two, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, three, the child will be holy, and then he will be the Son of God. And then the angel adds two more facts. He said, remember how Elizabeth got pregnant in her old age? And then he said, nothing is impossible with God. Now, given this overwhelming information, it is to all Mary's credit that she responded by saying, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Verse 38. And even now, after over 2,000 years, the angel's message seems mind-blowing, mind-boggling. What a, what, what a series of predictions he made. And in reading this particular passage from Luke chapter 1, I'm drawn to the last phrase of verse 33. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And as I thought of these improbable words, I could not help but think of that beautiful hallelujah chorus in Handel's Messiah, especially that part where the choir repeats, and he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever. The kingdom of this world he has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever, forever and ever. I can just hear it. Can you just hear it? Forever and ever and ever. Let me remind you this morning that nothing in this world lasts forever. There's an old hymn that says, Time like an ever-rolling stream Bears all its sons away, they fly Forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. And King Solomon added these words of wisdom in Ecclesiastes 9.5 when he says, For the living know they live, that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. What a sobering thought, isn't it? Even the memory of them is forgotten. And it is true of all human endeavors, isn't it? They fly, they're forgotten, as a dream dies at the opening day. What a lesson for all of us here today. And if you are counting on somebody remembering you after you're gone, forget it. Sooner or later, you'll just be another name on a tombstone. Let me tell you what will happen after you die. 
Your family will call up the funeral home and they'll arrange a real nice memorial service for you. Someone will stand up and say some nice things about you and someone will sing a song about heaven and the minister will stand and will give a homily and then they'll bury you in the ground. And do you know what happens next? Your friends will go over to your house or to a Chinese buffet restaurant. <laughs> and they'll have a party and eat your food. And then they'll go back to their cars, go back home, and get on with their lives. Someone may say, that, 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 that is just depressing. No, it is not. It is reality. And if I happen to die before you do, you will do the same for me. And before long, I will just be a dim memory and then I'll be forgotten altogether. And all of those things, if, if you, for example, are looking for significance and permanence in this world, you are wasting your time. Because the world forgets the past, lives in the present, and dreams about the future. And all of those things that we do give ourselves significance, the degrees after our names, the house we buy, the monies that we save, the cars that we drive, the empires that we build, the relationships we seek, the clothes we wear, the networks that we create. In the end, these things will amount to absolutely nothing. And if you're living, in, if you're living for this world, you are of all people most to be pitied. Why? Because nothing in this world lasts forever. Only God's kingdom will last forever. Hebrews 12:28 says that God is going to establish a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Everything that is in this world is shakable. Buildings crumble and into dust. Companies, you know, go into bankruptcy. Our degrees become worthless paper hanging on our walls. Our houses age and creaks and crumbles. Our cars rust out. And worst of all, your body, my body, eventually will wear out. But the kingdom of God lasts forever. So when the angel of Gabriel came to Mary, he predicted that he would be given, that he would, she would give birth to a son who will rule over the house of Jacob and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Are you there? So God desires to establish his kingdom on earth that will last forever. 
That kingdom will be made up of men and women who have decided to live by God's eternal values. Therefore, the whole human race may be divided into two groups. Those who decide to live by earthly values or those who decide to live by kingdom values. Now, what is the difference? The difference is this. Living by earthly values produces earthly rewards that pay off quicker and disappear faster. Living by kingdom values, on the other hand, produces earthly rewards that pay, rather, kingdom, produces kingdom values and rewards that they usually don't come as quickly, but they last forever. And so you can live for this world, or you can live for the kingdom of God. The choice is yours. God's kingdom gives meaning to history. Now, where, where is history going? Philosophers have pondered this question for thousands of years. Is, is history someone wrote nothing more than a tale told by an idiot scribbled on the walls of an insane asylum? Or is history, as Edward Gibbon suggested, that little more than a register of crimes and follies and misfortunes of mankind? Or should we accept that Hindu view that history is an endless cycle of reincarnation? Or should we adopt, for example, this vague evolutionary view that we came from the slime over the course of billions and billions of years and that we continue to evolve? And where would that lead you and I? They say to a positive thinking place where every day and in every way things are getting better and better and better. Really now, last I checked, our world is going the opposite direction. Or should we conclude with the cynics that life is meaningless? Someone said that life is an eternal cul-de-sac. The end of a long and winding eternal road that leads to nothing at all. Listen, folks, no question is more important because the way you view history ultimately shapes the way you view your life. If you believe that history is going nowhere, then your life is just a momentary blip across the radar screen of the universe, you pop up and you fly across that screen, you disappear, never to be heard from again. If history has no goal, then life has no meaning and every man is left to his own devices. When Larry King was interviewing Larry Flint, that pornographer, the pornographer Larry Flint said, this is what he believed, and I quote, he said that we are like bottles in a conveyor belt like this. We pop up, ride the belt for a while, and then something knocks us off, and we disappear, and our place is taken by someone else. 
It would be hard to imagine a more hopeless view of human life. From God's point of view, my dear friends, history is his story. The record of God's dealings with the human race and the Bible teaches that the universe had a definite beginning at a definite point in time. And it teaches that man did not come from slime or some crazy accident of evolution. God created man with a purpose and history is the story of the slow unfolding of God's purpose on the earth. The Old Testament prophets spoke again and again and again of a coming kingdom on the earth. And Abraham caught a glimpse of that kingdom. Moses saw it from afar. David learned about it directly from God. And the major and minor prophets filled in the details. The Old Testament writers foresaw a time when God's Messiah would rule the world from David's throne in Jerusalem. If you put the pieces together... They all speak of a coming golden age for the earth, a utopia, if you will, a paradise on earth itself. In that day, the lion will lie down with the lamb and all nations will stream into Jerusalem. But the, old, the New Testament writers add two significant details in that. That the promised Messiah is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And two, that the kingdom of God will not be ultimately established until Jesus the King returns to the earth in person. And that is where history is going. The kingdom of God is what history is all about. It is the goal toward which everything else is moving, folks. It is the last chapter in a story that started in the Garden of Eden. Well, let me give you a short version of what history is all about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he then placed Adam and Eve on the earth and made them stewards of the whole, over the whole planet, the creation. But when they disobeyed, when they sinned, they surrendered their stewardship into the hands of Satan, God's archenemy. And from that day until this, the whole world has been the domain of Satan. It is still God's creation, mind you. But Satan usurped God's authority and set up a counter kingdom to the kingdom of God. And from that day until this, the earth has been the central battlefield in a war between those two competing kingdoms. But that is not the whole story. Once the world fell into enemy hands, God determined to win it back at any cost. That meant sending his message through kings and prophets and priests and poets. It meant raising up an entire nation through whom he would bless the earth. That nation is Israel. But ultimately it meant that he himself had to enter the conflict in order to wrest or take back the world from the usurper, Satan himself. And God then entered the human race in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. That story is very familiar to you. 
But perhaps you are not used to thinking of it as God's ultimate blow against the enemy. When Jesus was crucified, it appeared that the enemy might win. Indeed, for 36 hours, it seemed certain that he had won. The battle was over, and God has been decisively defeated. Then Sunday came, and with it, the empty tomb and the, re and the resurrection, the risen Savior. And suddenly it became clear to everyone, even to Satan, that Jesus was and is the victor in the great battle to reclaim the earth. Now, the world is still in darkness. But here and there, there are followers of Jesus that have established outposts of the kingdom of God, little pinpoints of light, millions of them that promise better things to come. Excuse me. <clears throat> Let me remind you on this Christmas Sunday, 2016, that God's kingdom ultimately cannot be defeated. <clears throat> Meanwhile, the battle rages between the two kingdoms, King Jesus on one side and Satan on the other. And for over 2,000 years, his light has spread until it seems like these, there are millions of these points of light <clears throat> chasing away the darkness. Other places, however, things look darker and even. That's the history of our world until the present moment. But it is not the end of the story. All over the world, in those little outposts of the kingdom of God, the followers of Jesus are praying, Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Come, Lord Jesus. And come quickly. And as they do, they set their gaze toward the eastern sky and wait for the Son of God to personally and visibly return to the earth. And when at last he comes, he will trample Satan under his feet, judge the works of iniquity, set right the wrong things in the world, and reign from David's throne in Jerusalem. That day has not come yet, but come it will. It will come. It is coming, and we believe the signs all around us that the coming of Jesus Christ is not far away. But whether near or far, the kingdom of Jesus Christ that he will establish on the earth forms the goal of all human history. It is the last and greatest chapter of the battle of the ages. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Now, the prophet here is referring to the ancient Babylonian Empire. Excuse me. <clears throat> the Babylon, which, which to this day, they conquered the ancient 
Near East through heretofore unknown violence and utmost cruelty. It is said that the Babylonians piled up the skulls of their enemies as a warning to those who dared to oppose them. But those words also apply to every evil empire of history. Every human empire seems invincible at its zenith, at its peak, at the height of its power and influence. But the roll call of fallen empires stands for all of us to see. I checked with Wikipedia the other day, <clears throat> and there it has listed, give and take, about 190 empires and dynasties. And most prominent of those that arose and thrive on the face of the earth are the first Persian Empire. That empire came to an end when Alexander the Great conquered came. And then there's the Western Roman Empire in Rome. And then there's the Eastern Roman Empire in Byzantium, Turkey. That collapsed. It lasted to almost 2,000 years. Roman Empire fell after 525 years. There was internal divisions and squabbling that killed Rome, the Byzantine Empire, after 1,475 years when Constantinople was conquered by the Ottomans. It is gone now and non-existent. Then there's the Mongol Empire. It was the world's largest contiguous land empire, one that struck terror into, uh, into the hearts of the enemies, and, but even that eventually ended after 162 years. Then there's the British Empire. At its height, it was the largest empire in history for over a century. It was the foremost global power. It, has a, it was a powerful empire. By 1922, did you know, that British Empire held sway over about 458 million people, one quarter of the world's population at the time. Think about it. Almost a quarter of the Earth's total land area. They were exhausted in trying to uphold their interests and trying to do too many things at once while burning themselves out. That, too, is gone. The Egyptian Empire, gone. Philistines, gone. Assyrian, gone. Babylonian, gone. Greek, Spanish, gone. Nazi, Germany, gone. All have fallen. The kingdoms of this world under the leadership of kings and queens and princesses and pharaohs and monarchs and rulers, emperors and, 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 and dictators did not last. All came to a crushing and devastating end. And so those who think that they're invincible should despair. History shows that the mightiest empires will one day be brought to the ground. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 speaks of the ultimate truth. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When the communists came to power in China... In 1949, they expelled all foreign missionaries. Back then, it was estimated that there were around 700,000 Christians in China. And so for decades, no one knew what was happening behind the bamboo curtain, or if Christianity even survived. But by 1980, there were at least 10 million Christians in China. 
And today, they're estimating that there may be as many as over a hundred million in China. <clears throat> and these believers are meeting in houses, in apartment buildings, and the authorities are cracking down on these ever-expanding and growing house churches there. But they cannot hope to stop or even greatly slow down the spread of small groups meeting in houses in China. It is only happening in China. It is not only happening in China, but also in Syria. In the Middle East, I had lunch the other day. Is Chichang here? I had lunch with Chichang. He's the chairman of the, of the board of pioneers. And he was just telling me that they have these house churches, prayer houses all over the Middle East. Imagine that. It's around the world. It is happening still. And nothing can stop it. There is no power. There's no authority. There's no policy. There are no pundits that can reverse what God is doing. The knowledge of the Lord is spreading across the world. And his glory as the waters cover the sea. And the ultimate fulfillment of this verse awaits the return of Jesus Christ on the earth to establish his kingdom. But as we race headlong toward the final days of this age, we should not be surprised. Indeed, we should expect that there will be a massive explosion of gospel preaching and witness around the world with untold millions coming to faith in Christ. Why is that? Because this is what the angel said and had in mind when he said to Mary, of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus has a kingdom. He's building it in human hearts around the world. Someday he will return and visibly reign on the earth. That kingdom, his kingdom, his reign, his rule will never end. And here's my final appeal to you on this Christmas Sunday. Everyone listening to this message today, you have a choice to make. Either you join yourself to the kingdoms of this world that are doomed to fail, <coughs> or you join forces with Jesus Christ and follow him as your Savior and King. His kingdom will never end. Say that. So why, why in heaven's name would you follow anyone else? And he shall reign forever and ever. King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. 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 You came today expecting a traditional Christmas message. I hope you're not disappointed. You know something? The angel's announcement to Mary in Luke chapter 1 about the birth of the Christ ranks as one of the most powerful messages of the incarnation. A guarantee and a promise and an assurance. Just think with me for a moment. 
queens, kings, princes, potentates, monarchs, royalty, kingdoms, empires, rulers, CEOs, and yes, presidents, and yes, dictators, all will pass away. But his kingdom will never end. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.